This is Richard Ellis Talks with founding pastor of Reunion Church in the heart of downtown Dallas, Richard Ellis. This is a place for encouragement and hope as Richard challenges us to continue to grow in Jesus. And all month long, he's focused on holiday themes as we share the 25 Talks of Christmas. Now, if you're not able to stay with us for the entire program, you can always pick it back up on the 25 Talks of Christmas Advent Calendar on the website, richardellistalks.com. Every talk can be listened to whenever you're ready on your own time at richardellistalks.com. So, with today's talk, here's Richard Ellis. The title of today's message is Ignorant. If you're wondering how you spell that, it's I-G-N-E-R-T. And if you look it up in the dictionary, there's only one dictionary, the Urban Dictionary, which I don't endorse in any way for any other words. But this is the example they use for ignorant. You ain't watching the NASCAR race today. What is you, ignorant? <laughs> so I thought that all went right together, don't you think, Terrence? All, all that went right there together. No. So ignorant. Now, this thing about being ignorant, it's kind of a category, and we didn't, you know, we don't use this word in my house, but we're not in my house. So it's kind of, it's someone that if they're kind of ignorant, you kind of borderline think they're stupid, right? You're just like, really? Are you that ignorant? One of the most terrifying things for a man is to be perceived as ignorant, which is the word ignorant, which is not a bad thing. Ignorant in its best sense is you just don't know. Right? So the challenge with this is a lot of times men who are not knowledgeable about certain things will gather around things they're knowledgeable about. And then if they are ignorant, then you just got a bunch of ignorant men together being ignorant because they can't be challenged. But if you have a man who goes, okay, I don't know anything about that, but it doesn't mean I can't learn. Okay? So this is kind of where we're going. This can happen to women as well, but men are the worst. We want to be knowledgeable. So for men, knowledge is power because you don't come across being ignorant. The longer I live and the more conversations I have with people, especially about God, and I think we all have to be careful about this, you cannot go into conversations with people with presuppositions, with assumptions, where you think they know what you know, or they came from where you came from, or they're going to know what certain acrostics mean. or You, know, you just got to go with, now they may say, whoa, 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 I know all that. Okay, I'm not going to assume that. Because our culture today, our world today, is more and more God-less, and they have less and less information. Uh, a young man, he may be here today, a friend brought him to church. He was walking out the door. I grabbed him, said hello, asked him a couple of questions. There was a bench out there. I sit down with people occasionally, and he became a Christian sitting on that bench. And he immediately said, do you have, now this is unprompted. He said, do you guys have like, like Bible studies? He says, I don't know anything about the Bible. So he's hungry. He's saying out loud, I'm not stupid. I'm ignorant. I don't know. Will you help me? Right? So there's a world of people who may feel that way, but if we are not approachable and they are teachable maybe, but we are not teachers, we are not prepared. We're not equipped to say, okay, A, B, C, slow it down and teach them what they need to know. This same young man talking to another believer, 
and I'm not in any way throwing him under the bus, they were talking about sin. And this young man said, well, there are seven sins, right? Now you say, well, where would he come up with that? I don't know, seven deadly sins? You know, you hear stuff. You say, well, that's crazy. There's all kinds of sins. Stop calling people crazy. They just don't know. That's what he knew, so he presented what he knew. And then we bury them with everything we know, and then they feel ignorant and walk away. We wonder why they don't want anything to do with us. So find out where somebody is and start where they are and build from there. And you got to pay attention and let them ask questions and slow down. Because people, if they don't know and they are genuinely curious, they don't want to be stiff-armed and thrown off the bus just because they can't keep up with a conversation. So in this same, to go back to the word ignorant, let me take you to Psalm 14.1. And this is probably, and I read this along the way, I'm not going to hit it as hard today, but this is probably the, maybe the greatest example of being totally ignorant in the most negative way. Psalm 14.1 says, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none who does good. So sets us up for people who just say, well, there's no God. I can't teach you about a God you don't think exists. There's no God. What am I going to tell you? Or like the guy that said, I'm an atheist. You know, thank God I'm an atheist. And I'm like, well, what does that mean? Or when I meet atheists and they've got a situation in their life and they'll tell me, you know, somebody's sick or whatever, I say, well, do you mind if, I mean, I understand where you're coming from, but do you mind if I pray for you? And then they get upset. I was like, dude, why would you be getting upset at me praying to a God who doesn't exist? I'm just talking to myself. Just be patient with me. You can't get mad if there's no God that I'm talking to a God that doesn't exist. If he's not there, he's not there. So you say, well, I'm not that person. I'm not a fool. I'm not that ignorant. I know there's a God. Okay, now we're getting somewhere. Go to Mark chapter 14, verse 70. This is before Jesus' crucifixion. They're asking Peter three times. You know, he's denying Jesus three times. At least that's what the story tells. If you don't know that, so here I'm going, you know, assuming you know it's three times. Peter denies him three times. But in verse 70, but he denied it again. And a little later, those who stood by said to Peter again, surely you are one of them for you are a Galilean and your speech shows it. So here's another thing that gets squirrely. You know, people come down here from New Jersey and we think they all sound like they're nuts. Joyzy, you know, whatever, whatever, what does that mean? It's New Jersey, dude. Can't you say your own state? And then they come down here and we're all talking normal. They're laughing at us like, dude, what are you talking about? This is how you're supposed to talk. Texas, this is it. So we all talk weird to each other, but we can kind of figure out where somebody's from. Well, these guys were such country bumpkins. They identified not just their accent, but that they were Galilean. Your speech shows it. So that they were seen as less than, probably. You're probably not going to change the way you speak. Just make sure you have something to say when you do, right? You say, well, people think I sound ignorant. Then don't be ignorant. Be knowledgeable. Say it from who you are. So learn if you don't know so that when you share it, it doesn't matter what your accent is. You know what you're talking about. Go to Acts chapter 4, verse 13. Verse 14. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, these guys were just fishermen, they saw their boldness and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men. They marveled. Okay, so the contrast. How can these... 
bold men, but seemingly uneducated and untrained. How do those things go together? How can you be bold and uneducated? What if someone says, well, you don't know what you're talking about, and maybe they're right. These guys were bold because they had God with them, and at some point here, it's gonna move into them, and God had given them this boldness. Or at this point, he has moved in. Now look at the next phrase. And they realized that they had been with Jesus. I love this little phrase. If you spend time with Jesus, the world around you is going to pick up on that. And they may not know how to ask it. They may be afraid to ask it. But if you are approachable, right, you stay very approachable. And you speak about Jesus as though he is a friend of yours. You talk about things that he is showing you. You talk about things he's doing in your life, how he's changing you. Then people at some point will say, okay, you talk about Jesus like he's your friend. Because he is. You talk about Jesus like you're on a first-name basis, because we are. You talk about Jesus as though he's a real person, and he actually, you think he cares about you individually, because he does. And if we don't come off with some air of, well, I'm better than you because Jesus loves me, and he lives in me, and he's helping me, but we say, look, whatever you're picking up on, I don't have some corner on this market. He died for you, too. He was buried, raised from the dead. All this is available to you. And they say, well, I'm not interested. You can't control that. But we are supposed to be like some kind of sweet aroma, like some kind of thing that people go, man, it even smells like God in here. Who are you? Who is he? I want some of this. If someone took a bite out of my life and that was the only taste of Jesus they would ever get, would they want more? Or would they go, oh my gosh, and spit it out and go, no thanks. So go to Romans chapter 1. Let me just take a second and read this. Go down to verse 18. For the wrath of God, his anger, his wrath, is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who do what? They suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So God says, here's the truth. And they go, oh, no, no. I'm putting that down with my unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest to them, for God has shown it to them. So here's a basic assumption when you meet someone who may feel ignorant but is searching. You have to know that God has shown them, has manifested in them. There is no one you will ever meet that this is not true. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. So there's no one that has ever lived or ever will live that that is not true about. So you go in with that assumption. God has shown himself to them somewhere. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible men and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. In other words, started worshiping the creation, not the creator. So if I meet you, and you go, man, I'm in trouble, I'm having challenges. My basic assumptions are that God has revealed himself to you already. You know there's a God. 
And now the question is, are you going to suppress that knowledge with unrighteousness, with the wrongdoing in your life? Or are you going to acknowledge him, glorify him, give him all the glory, be thankful that he exists and that he's coming after you? Do not push back on this God. He wins every time. It's not a fight you're going to win. So it's very ignorant. It's very interesting. If you put the word ignore and rant together, you end up with a really interesting word. Ignore rant. You don't want to be that person. Go to Ephesians chapter 4. Now, I'm talking to people partially today who if you feel like you just don't know, you got questions, and is it okay to ask, I'm telling you, ask. And if we're not doing a good job, just say, look, you got to slow down. I don't know what you're talking about. It's like learning a new language. Help me. And we go, okay, I'll slow down. I'll back up one step at a time. But I am strongly advising against people who ignore what the truth is and want a rant about whatever it is they want to rant about. I am not engaging in that. Read Ephesians 4:17. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. So they said, I'm not interested, and they take off on a life. I'm not going to chase someone down who is running away from God and has no interest. You plant seeds, and when they go, they go, and you let God do his work. But this describes, because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, they are past feeling. They don't care. So if you're trying to talk to someone, and you say, well, I'm going to talk them into becoming a Christian. I have never talked anyone into becoming a Christian. You cannot do that. And if you did, you manipulated them in some way, and they probably said yes just to get you off their back. Yeah, yeah, I'll do whatever you say. Just please let me go. Then go to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22 and following. And this is Paul writing to Timothy specifically, but these things can apply to us. Verse 22, flee also youthful lust, but pursue what? Pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes. Another translation said stupid arguments. Avoid foolish and ignorant disputes knowing that they generate strife. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility correcting those who are in opposition. If God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil having been taken captive by him to do his will. So I don't argue with people. And if somebody goes off on some rant and you Christians this and that, I'm like, dude, I'm out. You want to know about Jesus and about heaven and about basic things, I'll talk to you all day long. But I'm not going to listen to your rant over things that you have completely ignored, even asking questions about and finding out what the truth is. Because people have ideas. The enemy puts lies in our heads. That's how he gets us off track. Well, I heard that all Christians are X. Well, ask the question. So avoid stupid arguments. Don't go down that path. And I sit with people for hours and hours and hours who have genuine questions, and there's nothing better than someone who is hungry or has an appetite, a hunger, and they're trying to figure out, okay, what is this? 
And way more people than you realize are this close to becoming a Christian. It's on the tip of their tongue. They can't figure out why no one has approached them before now. And when you are approachable, they are so thrilled from the inside out that finally somebody will talk to me about this. If we were more like hospitals, we might reach a whole lot more people. Because the assumption that when people come in, they're not okay. And some people that look okay, you know, if you go in the emergency room and you look okay, you could be there about 10 hours. You know, so hit yourself in the face, make yourself nosebleed or something, they might see you quicker. So (laughs) people shouldn't have to wait when they come in here. Go to Matthew chapter 22. Now, let's say you're just ignorant, you just don't know yet. I'm going to give you some good news. Matthew 22, 27, or go to verse 28. Therefore, in the resurrection, there's a story here, you know, religious people are always nuts. They're going to try to stump you on some technicality. Get away from that kind of stuff too. And they had this question. Okay, a woman marries a guy, and that guy dies. And the woman back then, she had to marry her brother, his brother. And then if that brother died, they had to marry the next brother. So this guy had all kind of brothers. So the scenario was, this woman had to marry like seven brothers. Just think about it for a second. Who are you married to? Does he have a brother? That's her nightmare. So, and they kept dying on her. So they're like, okay, well, who in heaven, who's going to be her husband? And Jesus answered it. They asked it in 28, therefore in the resurrection, whose wife of the seven will she be? For they all had her. Jesus answered and said to them, now look at how he, he kind of shreds them a little bit. You are mistaken, and why are they mistaken? Not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God. Now guys, I'm telling you, this is a chunk of our problems. We do not know the scriptures, nor the power of God, and there's everything riding on those two things. You have to know the scriptures and realize you're dealing with a God who has power to do what he says in the scriptures. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels of God in heaven. Okay? So if you get in trouble by not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God, then here's a good place to start with God and someone else if they're approachable. You say, like that young man I shared about a little while ago, he said, I don't know anything about the Bible. Okay, here we go. He knows something about the power of God because just minutes before he had become a Christian. So get a Bible. Not the one you stole out of the hotel room. I'm talking about another one because it'll be hard for you to read that stolen one. Get a Bible, get a translation that makes sense to you and sit down and read it. And I tell new believers to read the Bible, but I tell non-believers to read the Bible. And this is what I'm encouraging you to do. Start with somewhere like John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And even if you're not a Christian, sit down with that Bible. And before you read it, I understand you say, well, I don't know God. Say to him, My understanding is this is your book and you got this book written and there are things in here that you want me to know and understand about you. So I'm going to read about this and I'm asking you to reveal yourself in your words, in your own words. Tell me about you. You can't imagine what will happen. They are living. They are powerful. And all of a sudden, words that are usually just flat on a page just kind of go 3D on you. Like, oh my gosh, if that's true, this is true. And you read about God loving you so much that he gave his only son. You won't get too far into John if you're really searching for Jesus. You'll find him pretty quick. And since there's nobody that's ever lived that he hasn't revealed himself to, you already know 
You know who he is. You'll know it's him. Because the devil's certainly not trying to get you to heaven or to Jesus. So when you sense his presence and you go, wow, this is what he was describing, then it's simple. You just say, okay, Jesus, I get it. The story says you love me, that you came down here to die for me, be buried and raised from the dead. And God, I need help. And I don't want to die and end up in hell. So if you can save me, then I'm asking you to save me. Forgive me. I believe Jesus died for me, buried, raised from the dead. Come into my life. I accept you. It's that simple. And he moves in. And then you find out you're not perfect like we aren't perfect. But we're in a process on a journey like a child that grows up. And it's bumpy. We make mistakes. We fall down. We get back up. We have to help each other up. And then you're going to get some answers, and then you're going to get some more questions. John chapter 5, John 5, 39. And here he says, you search the scriptures. Why would you search the scriptures? For in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive honor from men, but I know you that you do not have the love of God in you. By the way, you can't have the love of God in you unless you have God in you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. How can you believe who receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes from the only God? Another reason to search the Scriptures. Why? Because in them you think that you have eternal life, and the Scriptures testify of him. I'm just telling you, when you hear his voice, respond to his voice. You may not hear an audible voice. I'd never heard an audible voice, but I know his voice. And I knew as a young boy, when Jesus spoke to me, I knew it was him in my heart. You say, well, how can a six-year-old child understand that? When I look at my children or grandchildren, no matter what age they are, if they can respond with their eyes or their voice, and I say, do you know that I love you? They go, yes. How complicated is that? And God says, did you know that I love you? And maybe all you get out is, yes, I get that now. Enough to let your son die for me. That's not complicated. Let him love you. Let him forgive you. Let him move in and run your life. And then 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. Find this one. And this is kind of how kind God is. He is aware of your questions. He is aware of your fears, of your doubts, of what you're going through. And in this case, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13, he's writing here, he says, but I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. So people kept dying, and they're going, okay, well, wait, we're Christians. What about the resurrection? What about all, what's going on? What's happening? I don't want you to be ignorant concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus, those who have already died. So I have tremendous hope. So, you got questions? It doesn't mean you're ignorant. It may mean you're just ignorant and you got questions. And I am praying and I'm saying, at least for me, and I know a bunch of more people in this room, if you show up here and you say, okay, 
You said that if I had questions, somebody would help me with my questions. The answer is yes. We will help you get answers to your questions. We can't answer all of your questions because on this side of heaven, there are not answers to some questions. But we'll get you enough answers to the questions that will get you into heaven and through this life, even with the questions you have that can't be answered on this side. Thank you for listening to Richard Ellis Talks. So many people like you tell us that Richard's unique way of boiling down God's truths and making his word clear and easy to apply to our daily life is what sets this program apart from everything else on your radio, helping to reach everyone together with God's good news. In fact, reaching everyone together is not only Pastor Richard's ministry mission, but it's also the mission that Jesus commands each believer when he gave us our marching orders in Mark 16, 15, to go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. So that's what these daily talks are all about, to encourage and equip us to be a light of hope to others this Advent season. Now, during the 25 Talks of Christmas this month, it's a different holiday-themed program each and every day. So if you miss any previous Christmas talk, just click on the daily Advent calendar at richardellistalks.com to listen to, download, or share any of these Christmas talks. It's right there on the homepage at richardellistalks.com. And while you're on the website, be sure to surf around for hundreds of other encouraging audio and video talks, tons of interesting blogs, or to submit a request on the prayer wall, or to follow us on social at Talk with Richard, and much more. It's all right there at richardellistalks.com, alongside the Daily Christmas Talks Advent Calendar. So as we wrap up, thank you for listening today, and thank you for praying for Richard. As we look forward to coming alongside you again for the next of our 25 Talks of Christmas on Richard Ellis Talks.